Hello from the streets of San Francisco. At least that's where I'm at. Matt Barrows. I think Matt, you're where? You're in you're in your apartment right now in San Jose. The the, uh, the streets of San Jose, major cities covered in the in the Bay Area right now. And as you probably have noticed, we are not at Levi Stadium today. And it's not because the 49ers have ceased to operate. It's because the players have a day off. And that means that the reporters have a day away from the facility. I wouldn't call it a day off. We don't like days off during training camp, right? We like to continue working. And that's what today's going to be about, this live room. So get ready with your questions. You can go ahead and start lining up in the queue right now because we'll be answering a few of them here over lunchtime. On this beautiful Monday, I'm guessing it's nice and sunny down there on the other side of the Bay Area, Matt, right? Because in the city right now, it's it's absolutely perfect. And you can't often say that in August is what they call it. But it's not foggy in August today. It's nice and sunny up in the city. Yeah, it's been sunny um, since early on. We usually have the... Uh the the gloom until i don't know around 10 and then it burns off and and, and we experience that just as the 49ers are taking the field like around 10:25 every day in Santa Clara the sun starts to poke through and then by 11 um the heat starts up so it's it's really good timing for them they're not really practicing um you know the the full time in the heat um i think i think anybody uh, you know, Trent Williams trains in Houston. A lot of these guys are from the South, Southeast. I think when they come to California, they're they're blown away by how consistently pleasant, how nice the weather is. Oh, it was unbelievable because I was in Nashville essentially for the entire summer with my fiance, and it was just oppressive, right? 95 degrees, humid. There was a couple of days I think it might have even had triple digits in their heat wave. And you just get weighed down because you're just walking through soup every day and you're just running to the nearest air conditioning. And, you know, in the past, I had remembered, well, first of all, I grew up in the Central Valley in in California. So I I knew what desert heat was like, right? Visalia, Fresno, that whole area. You get a 105, 110 in the summer. Uh, But then I got soft after, you know, living in the Bay Area for for several years and in the city proper for a while to where, you know, especially in the summer when I drove down to Santa Clara, I thought it'd be hot, but it turned out it was only 80 dry heat hot at, at 49ers training camp. But this year I came in from the opposite perspective. I, I come back from Nashville in the summer and training camp. I mean, it's just so comfortable. 80 degrees is exactly what you want, right? So it, well, it, it all depends on what side you're coming from. It does. I, I remember the 49ers had joint practices uh, and, and they'll have joint practices in Minnesota next week. They had one, um, a set of them against the Texans a few years ago. I just remember being out there, and it was it was miserable. I mean, it was you had to find shade. At least I did, uh, in order to make it through a, a two-hour practice. Uh, you know, the, the 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 players are for the most part in such excellent shape that they can withstand any of it. And like I said, probably a lot of them are are from uh, uh, hotter, more humid climbs and, and, and can, can do it. But if you're not, if you're not uh, kind of used to that, uh, that level of heat and humidity, boy, it really knocks you down when, when, you're, when you're exposed to it. All right, we're creeping up on 100 people. I'm sure everybody got the push notification from The Athletic. Maybe some of you saw the, the tweet that we put out there with this link, but welcome to Lunchtime with both of us, David Lombardi, Matt Barrows. Go ahead and join the queue if you want to ask a question audio style. We'll get to your questions here so we can start forming the line for 49ers questions. Ten practices into training camp, and 
I'm happy to report, and I'm sure that Matt is is also happy to say that the dog days of training camp are over, right? When you have to just continuous uninterrupted practice. It's a lot of days out there. We didn't really even have a break throughout the first 10 practices this year because the day that we didn't have to be at training camp, Debo Samuel resigned. That was uh, last Sunday. So uh, it's been it's been a grind. The grind isn't finished, but I think the hardest part of the grind is behind us because it's game week now. The 49ers and the Packers open up the preseason on Monday, uh, on Friday at 5.30 p.m. And that means that the 49ers have to embed a few more off days, walkthrough days, and it's not going to be just be straight training camp practice out there in the sun. So uh, camp is still far from finished, but we have now moved on, I think, to the next phase of it, right? And I think it's going to be really exciting, Matt, because we'll finally get to see the 49ers in full uniform tackling live to the ground on Friday against the Packers. Yeah, and we'll get a uh, an official depth chart from the team. And uh, I, I think everybody knows the drill by now. This is composed by the, the PR staff, um, perhaps with some, some coaching uh, you know, oversight on it. But uh, it'll be the first one that's issued by the team, and we'll – kind of compare that to what we've been seeing in practices. They're, they're generally pretty good, I think, about that. Um, and then um, we start this really interesting 13-day stretch where they've got three preseason games and then two joint practices with the Vikings. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Cal Shanahan handles that as far as, you know, how many reps different people get. Um, he's got to be kind of scientific about it. So, um uh, that'll that'll be interesting, and uh, those those joint practices with the Vikings. I mean, Shanahan has said on several occasions that he feels like practices are more important than the preseason games, and the joint practices are uh, are, are pretty uh, important as well, and might be the most important. So those will be fun to to watch, and to really watch uh, one guy in particular, and that's number five, and he has been. Up and down, and he had a, a bad practice on Sunday. David, you wrote about it, and uh, I'm starting to see some patterns. I mean, I, I, I think he's got trouble with that out pattern near the uh, the sideline. Uh, those yeah. are uh, a lot of times inaccurate. They're either uh, too far outside, and so they go sailing out of bounds, or they're too high. Uh, and, and that's been sort of critique. When, when Trey Lance misses, Trey Lance misses high, and uh, I think that's a, a footwork issue. I think it's uh, part and parcel to him not being comfortable there in the pocket, the defense flushing them out quite a bit. Um, sometimes he's seeing things late. He's having to rush the throw. Uh, there's a myriad of things that go into it. But the bottom line is that the accuracy, boy, uh, especially the closer you get to the sideline, it, it just hasn't been there. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's short, intermediate, or long down that sideline, that out pattern. Uh, it has been an issue for him. So like you said, it could be a number of things. It could be that footwork. It could be the pass rush. Obviously, he was operating without both starting tackles, Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey uh, on Sunday. But the 49ers defense was also operating without its two best edge rushers and Nick Bosa and Sansa Mebucom. So I, I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, we can say that Trey Lance has been – inconsistently accurate let's put that uh we could say that for sure because even when they kept him there against the second team pass rush and i think that kyle shanahan wanted to give him more reps uh he was still missing and, and the misses were all of the same variety they were high and they were uh 
throws to to the outside. Then he missed high to Brandon Ayuk over the middle of the field later on. So uh, that is an issue. It's an issue that goes back to his tape at North Dakota State where you see him just dropping some dimes, right? Nice passes throughout the tape, but then it's also sprinkled throughout the tape. Uh, you see the wild hairs up his nose, right? You see the ones that it's like, what, what, what the hell was that? And yesterday we saw a lot of what the hell was that type of throws. And now we have more questions coming into the queue. So we're going to move on to the next one. Adam, Adam, what's up? Hi there. How's it going? Um, I haven't seen much coverage or maybe I've just missed it on their first pick. Drake, how is he looking so far? Oh, that's a good one. And I think, yeah, that's, that's a guy that we probably need to talk about a little bit more. It's tough because... I, you know, as with, with everything, the pads just came on fairly recently and we haven't seen an actual game where defensive linemen can tackle a quarterback to the ground. And obviously that's so much of what flashes in defensive line play. But I will say, Adam, that Drake Jackson looks as bouncy and as fluid as, as advertised from an athletic standpoint. Now, how he handles the actual physicality of, of NFL football and how he could finish some of these sacks. You know, you could be close, but you sometimes you don't finish. How he can finish, that's going to be dictated by what we start to see in the preseason then into the regular season. But, Matt, I think the one way to summarize, you know, what Drake Jackson can bring to the table is he weighs 270 pounds and this guy could do a standing backflip. I mean, that's, that's, Rich, that's Richie James-type stuff, but at 270 pounds, not 180. Yeah, no, uh, you know, he's uh, essentially replacing D Ford on this roster, and and, and – I think a lot of people thought that, okay, he would be sort of this this twitched-up, D-Ford-like guy, the guy that just, like, flies across the line of scrimmage on the snap, really good on third downs. He's not like that. Um, you know, as David noted, he, you know, he, he can get up to 270 pounds, no problem. Um, he, he's sort of size-wise, he's very similar to, to Nick Bosa and every down uh, type of defensive end. And he's not, he's not especially twitchy. Uh, he's not firing off that line in, in a you know with an incredible you know ten yard split type of guy. What he is is uh, incredibly bendy, uh, and he's able to you know what they call run the arc, um, you know get around that tackle at a such a low angle angle. Um, and it's uh, flexibility you know throughout his body, um, legs, ankles, you know the the foot is going one way uh, when, when the body is going another. This, this kind of allowing him to um, you know, make basically a, uh, a left-hand turn, a, a 90-degree turn very quickly. Uh, he, he's got to put it all together. Um, you know, he, he's inconsistent. You see flashes, um, this, that, and the other. I think he's getting his you-know-what kick by Chris Kacarek and Daryl Tapp in these practices. Uh, he, he's learning how you have to practice in the NFL. And, and I'll tell you the uh, of all the groups, David, uh, I'd like your opinion on this. It seems like those defensive linemen from start to end of practices are working harder than an- anybody else. They don't get any um, periods off. Um, you know, they're, they're getting their, their asses kicked. And, uh, you know, that's the point. And um, I, 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 to me, I think that Jackson's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's taking it in stride. He, he hasn't had to leave any. Uh, practices in full, uh, but it's something that he's just got to get used to in the NFL. Absolutely, and he's a defensive lineman again. He really wasn't for two seasons with USC. They they moved him to this outside linebacker role that wasn't a, a pure pass rushing role. He was dropping back in coverage. He had to play at under 250 pounds for a portion of that. He was 
at most, I think, 252, 253 over the past two seasons with USC, which in my opinion was coaching malpractice, but they, they had their reasons for it. They had some injuries. They felt they had to move Drake Jackson, but the 49ers put on his freshman tape from USC when he was a 275-pound edge rusher, and for them it was a no-brainer. They said, all right, bulk back up. We want you at this weight. We want you playing like you did your freshman year at USC, and that means less thinking, more getting after the passer. We don't want you down in, in coverage. So that's what Drake Jackson's going to be for the 49ers. And, you know, to your point about how hard that defensive line room works, that, that's not something that is the case around the entire NFL. I'm sure everybody works hard, right? But Chris Viserek runs a fairly unique system, and he has been very clear. And you talk to defensive linemen, uh, both past and present 49ers, they're very clear about the fact that it, it takes a different mentality to, to you know, enjoy playing for Chris Kosarek. You, you do have to be ready to, to be out of breath a little bit longer at practice. You do have to be ready, um, you know, to just get down and dirty uh, more. This, this unit just, I mean, there's a reason why they have surged ever since Chris Kosarek showed up in 2019 into consistently one of the league's best, and that's because – he demands more of those players. It's almost more of a college style kind of thing, right? And sometimes professionals aren't okay with that. Sometimes professionals, you know, especially the guys who have made quite a bit of money, who kind of just want to coast to, you know, they think that their off-season training's been enough and they want to do what they've always done in the NFL. But Chris Kosarek is different as a D-line coach, and Drake Jackson's now part of that system. And I'll add this, I, you know, everybody that I've talked to about him uses the word sponge, that the guy's a sponge, that he's just there – soaking up the information he's getting not only from Chris Kosarek, but he's got another great resource in the room and that's Nick Bosa. And obviously Nick Bosa has been a sponge and now that sponge can, you know, pass on the information to another sponge in Drake Jackson. And uh, The rest will be determined, but the 49ers believe they have all the formula in place for Drake Jackson to be a really good player. Let's move on to Kevin. Kevin, what's going on? Not much. How are you doing, David? I'm uh, doing great. Just walking here. I'm on, I'm on the sidewalk and, San Francisco, uh, near DeBose Triangle. I don't know if you're that. I don't know if you know where that is, and I'm enjoying my off day. How are you? I'm good. You know, actually, I'm heading to San Fran up in September for the Niners Seahawks home opener, so that's gonna be fun. But um, I had a question. Out of the undrafted rookie linebackers that we picked up in the off season or after the draft, who do you see? Do you think any one of them will make a potential roster like spot, or who do you think will make the practice squad, like roughly? Well, all three of those guys have, have looked good, um, and you, you can see what the 49ers are doing. They're trying to develop somebody for coming years. I mean, I would rank it like this, and, th- and this is uh, largely because um, one of them, Jeremiah Gemmel, uh, who's playing middle linebacker, w- was out throughout the spring, and he's only now rounding into form. But I would go uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball, and then Sagoon uh, uh, Alubi as as the next guy, and then Gimmel probably third. Um, I don't know if any of them make the uh, make the roster. Um, maybe one of them could. And um, you know, McCrary Ball and Alubi are both really really fast. I mean, they're DB fast, and and when you have that speed. Uh, it allows you to do two things. It, it uh, allows you to be good in coverage, and we saw McCrary Ball on uh, on Sunday uh, come down with a uh, sort of a, a deep shot interception. He was well down the field when he intercepted Nate Sudfeld's path, and it allows you to excel on special teams. So um, both of those guys, I think, have a shot. I think all three of them 
have a shot at the, uh, I think it's going to be an 18-man practice squad again. So uh, that would make sense. But like I said, uh, there's a lot of foresight going on here. Um, Dre Greenlaw and uh, Aziz Alshair are, are going to be unrestricted free agents in March. Um, I think they probably keep one, and I think there's a better chance that they keep zero than they keep two. Uh, so they, they need to have some guys, uh, you know, kind of in waiting there. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see which one of those guys really starts to develop and who they like at the end of the season uh, who could step into a, a more prominent role next year. You know, on that interception that you're talking about at practice, probably the very first time in NFL history that an Indiana alum has picked off an Indiana alum. Nate Sudfeld went is a Hoosier, right? Went to Indiana, and so did Marcelino McCrary Ball. So we saw some Indiana on Indiana crime during that interception on Sunday uh, because, uh, you know, Tr- Trent Green went to Indiana, right? But I can't imagine that Trent Green threw an interception at an NFL training camp to another Indiana defender. It's prob- very unlikely that happened before. So I thought that was cool uh, because you don't normally see Indiana guys in the NFL, uh, much less two of them on the same team. So – uh, you know, your your points are spot on, though, regarding the linebacker situation, Matt. The 49ers stocked up with developmental projects for the future because the future is probably going to happen right after 2022 with uh, those Greenlaw and Alshire contract uh, situations coming up. So that's going to be something for the 49ers to keep an eye out on. Um, you know, I've talked about Olubi before, Saguna Olubi. We spoke about Drake Jackson in our first question. Well, Saguna Olubi was Drake Jackson's high school teammate, Corona Centennial. Uh, just a you know, tremendously fast linebacker, four four forty. But he didn't decide to pick up football till late in high school. Because of that, he went to like four or five different places in college: NAIA, JC, D two, uh, walk on San Diego State. Um, so he's a late bloomer. But he runs a four four forty at the linebacker position. So the Forty ers are really happy to nab him as a potential developmental prospect. And we'll see how that development does continue. Let's go to Neil. Neil, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for hey, doing this. Yeah, I'm alright, thank you. Yeah, listening in from London. Um, yeah, I know, it's been, it's great following you guys uh, over here because obviously we don't get all the local news, so um, it just makes it easier to, to follow the team. So I appreciate that, both of you. Um, on that note, I wanted to ask a bit about the preseason games. Um, you know, it's a 1am kickoff over here, so normally I wouldn't watch the preseason. Um, just wonder what you think is going to happen. Whether whether Trey Lance will play maybe more than a QB normally would in preseason, given the given the struggles he's having, um, or will they keep him out? I think I think he has to play. I think reps are everything for Trey Lance right now because I think his his main issue is connecting the mechanical with the cerebral and and the physical, right? So and, and we know that he's really smart. We know that he sees the field the way that Kyle Shanahan wants him to see the field. We know that the physical tools are great. But mechanically, he's obviously inconsistent right now. And, you know, everybody from Steve Young down to somebody casually watching training camp, uh, you, you know, has said that. And I think that reps are just of utmost importance as he's gotten so little of them since 2019 is only full season starting beyond the high school level. So, Matt, uh, this is something we haven't really talked to uh, Kyle Shanahan about yet, but in my opinion, Trey Lance needs to play and needs to play a lot in the preseason to just, you know, get those mechanics down as pat as possible before the games start counting. Yeah, I agree. And, and we'll ask Shanahan that probably uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. 
Uh, I know it's already Tuesday for, for Neil or, or close to. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the caution would be, you know, the 49ers don't want, say, Trent Williams, uh, you know, playing a lot in the preseason. So uh, there, there has to be sort of a, a marriage of do you put Trey Lance out there for a whole half if he's going, you know, with, uh, you know, Colton McKivitz protecting his blind side or, or what? Because um, Lance was a guy who got that hurt quite a bit, uh, certainly in, in comparison to the amount he played uh, last season, including in that preseason game against the, the Raiders. Uh, suffered a, a finger fracture that it turns out affected him for, for most of the season and really sort of hindered his development, I think. Certainly was not a, a, a smooth arc upward that the 49ers were envisioning when they gave him that, uh, that apprentice type of year. And that, that really was the biggest concern about uh, Trey Lance coming out of his rookie season is that, boy, he got injured quite a bit. Um, you know, is this is this a kind of a flash in the pan thing, a random thing, or is this something that we need to be concerned about? So um, that's always the concern in the in the preseason um, playtime versus injuries. Um, but uh, you know, David's right; he just needs to play a lot and get ready for for that uh, September 11 game. Um, like I said, 13 games. I mean, uh, three games in 13 days. Um, so uh, there, there's going to be some juggling with that as well. Uh, Shanahan said that's all been sort of discussed and, and prearranged with the, uh, the training staff and whatnot, but we don't know exactly how that's all going to play out. But that's all going to be a factor uh, in, uh, in those decisions. And, you know, the argument that I've heard most against Trey Lance playing is that, oh, he can, he can get hurt. And... He can get hurt in the regular season too, right? I mean, you've invested so much in Trey Lance that you can't just sit there and have him bubble wrap for the rest of his career. At some point, he's got to get those reps. I I understand the sitting down for a season fully last year. You know, that's something that we talked about as being very necessary given the total lack of experience and the fact he was only 21 years old. He had to be introduced to an NFL building and, you know, had to get his feet wet, you know, very slowly at the start. But now, you know, the, the improvement's going to come through actual repetitions. And uh, guess what? It's football. An injury risk can happen at, at any point. It will happen at any point. So uh, I think the 49ers just will take and they need to and they will take the bubble wrap off of Trey Lance when they have a when they have a shot at that. Let's go to Eric. Eric, what's going on? It looks like Eric did not get added to the live show. He just disappeared from the queue. Maybe that starts working in a few seconds, but um, he's not there right now. Matt, uh, what did you have for lunch today? Why don't we talk about that while we wait for this queue to load back up? Well, I, I had a salmon and a spinach sandwich, so I went healthy. But we do have a, a question from Danny M. He says, hey, guys, how would you guys rank the 49ers RB in order and I think it uh, it starts with Elijah Mitchell. I think number two has been Jeff Wilson. And then I, I, I think it starts to get interesting. When, when you watch um, Anthony Lynn and the, and the running backs group, it always goes, they, they, they take uh, the, the snaps in a very specific order. It always goes Mitchell, uh, Wilson, uh, Hasty. Sermon, and then the two rookies, Ty Davis-Price and Jordan Mason. 
to me, though, uh, I, I, th- I think Sermon definitely looks better this year than he did last year. I thought, David, uh, Sermon's best practice came on Saturday. Really had some nice kind of physical types of runs. But I, I think that Ty Davis' prices look better. Uh, so if I were to rank them at this point in my own head, it would go Mitchell, Wilson, Ty Davis, Price, Sermon, and Hasty. Um, and then when you're talking about Sermon and Hasty, you, you wonder, okay, does Hasty have the advantage because he's sort of a, a trusted agent on third down? So um, th- there's a lot going on there. I think uh, the preseason games will help flesh that out even more. Uh, but uh, I think the 49ers have to feel better about their overall depth. The order of that depth, though, I think is still being sorted out. Yeah, I mean, and Kyle Shanahan has been open about this every single year. He says that running backs are the toughest position to evaluate before the preseason games. He actually uses the preseason games mostly to evaluate the running backs out of the players who are you know, going to be in the first string or, or close to it or going to play a lot in the regular season because – uh, there are only a f- handful of teams. I think Mike Tomlin and the Steelers are one of them that tackle live to the ground during training camp. The 49ers are not one of those teams. And, you know, as far as evaluating a running back, I mean, so much of what, what they do is is based on how, how they can break tackles, right? How, how hard are they to bring to the ground? So you can see some of the physical aspect I think we already have uh, from Ty Davis Price as far as popping pads and, and doing all that. But if, if we don't actually see live tackling then we can't have that that you know full gauge of what the 49ers have at the running back position so I can't wait for Friday for that because obviously I think we'll see some Trey Lance but I think we'll see a lot of the 49ers running backs especially Ty Davis Price let's see how tough he is to bring to the ground he was tough to bring to the ground at LSU at 220 plus pounds and um, you know, based on that, we'll be able to also gauge some of the progress that somebody like Trey Sermon has made. I think everybody seems to be running well um, so far at training camp, but again, the defense can't bring him to the ground. So uh, that, that, that's a big, big uh, thing right now that, that that isn't happening yet. So we'll see as that progresses. But Eric, Eric is back. Let's hope it works this time. Eric, what's up? Uh, I'm curious, whenever – the Niners move on from Jimmy G, whether it's a trade or a release, they'll have a ton more cap space. And I'm curious how you imagine them potentially using that cap space. And if you see any more contracts extensions other than the Debo one potentially, you know, happening, whether this off season or early into the season. Well, the nice thing about cap space that you pick up right before the start of the season, like they potentially will with Garoppolo's 24 million, is that you have flexibility for in-season maneuvers, which are a lot harder to make than out-of-season maneuvers. Because in, you know, when you're out of the season, you can restructure guys. You could do all kinds of tricks, right, to, to fit somebody in. But in the middle of the season, it's a lot harder to do stuff like that. So you just need liquidity on hand as far as the cap goes. And that's something that the 49ers should have once they free up that money from Jimmy Garoppolo, right? So. Well, that's when we could start talking about trade deadline acquisitions and all this and all that. I don't have any names off the top of my head because I don't know what the team is going to look like yet uh, in the regular season. But I think that's a big thing for the near term. And then, Matt, as far as extensions go, um, obviously Bosa's on the list. But if Brandon Ayuk keeps on delivering the way he is right now, if that extends into the season, he's going to be in Debo Samuel's shoes, right, next offseason. Uh, and he's certainly hoping uh, so. I mean – 
Uh, I, I have that question too. <laughs> if he has a Debo like uh, season, are, are the 49ers going to be able to to pay two wide receivers at that level? And my my gut instinct is no, they're not. Um, and uh, you know that that's certainly a reason that you you know maybe you you spend a uh, at least a, a day one or a day two pick from here on out at that uh, at that spot at wide receiver. It's just so cr- critical now. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a very good question. I mean, we've already talked about the, the two linebackers who are coming up. Uh, I can see them resigning one, but not both. Um, you know, they've got another year for Japan Kinlaw. Um, you know, what about, uh, Juwan Jennings? Um, you know, I think Eric's talking about, uh, maybe, you know, one that we're not really seeing coming right now that they could do in season that would sort of take care of something that, uh, might be an issue in, in uh, future off-seasons. Anybody that kind of fits that mold in your mind, David? Yeah, Jennings is interesting because we thought they might try to negotiate something with him this off-season, right, before they, they put the, the tender on him just for the year uh, because they, they could have gotten out in front of that one. They didn't. They might feel that Jennings still has a little bit more to prove as far as consistency goes, and that's fine. But if they do have a little extra money laying around there over the course of the regular season then um and jennings is playing well and and he has shown that consistency you can do it then so uh, you know this is a matter of uh increasing flexibility and also you know just in general the four we may have lost david there he's coming back um i should uh note that uh this uh defensive line group which is really deep this season i mean they've got uh, 14 15 guys there most of those guys are only signed through this coming season. I think it's only Bosa, Armstead, and Kinlaw who are signed beyond 2022. So they could stand to, um, add, you know, add a couple more of those guys to uh, long-term deals. But we'll have to we'll have to wait on that. Let's go with Matt W. Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Uh, thanks so much for all the coverage. I had a special teams question. Uh, did you notice, do you notice any sort of difference in the way the special team is preparing this year with the new coach? And what do you think is the future at the kicking position with Gold and Wisniewski on contract years? Thanks. It is a great question. And uh, I asked that question to a, a player the other day, Ray Ray McLeod, uh, because really you can't see it in the practices. Um, you can see you know, them setting up for, you know, kick coverage and this, that, and the other. Uh, but there's no hitting or anything like that going on. So it, it's something that's very hard to see as an observer. But McLeod was talking about, and this is a guy who's been a, a key special teamer on other teams as well, uh, Buffalo and, and Pittsburgh. And, and he was saying that the, the level of detail in the meeting room is far beyond what he's experienced so far. Um, and, and he was talking about a, a couple of guys that they, they added, Oren Burks and George Odom. And he said Odom in particular um, is sort of his escort, uh, you know, lead blocker um, on punt returns, is a really sharp guy, really dedicated to the craft. And, um, you know, he's got very high expectations for that unit going forward. Um, I don't know what the, the future of the, the kicking and punting is. Um, you know, obviously the, the 49ers have been eager to, to sign Robbie Gold in recent years because they wanted a, a veteran because, uh, who could hit big kicks 
in the winter. Uh, they expected to be playing in the playoffs, and he did just that. I mean, he delivered this this past uh, playoff run. Uh, but uh, he's expensive and he's older, and you know, frankly, Wisnowski, um has not been everything that they hoped for to this point. I think his technical punting has been outstanding. Uh, the kickoffs have been lacking, and in fact, Gold has been doing the kickoffs uh, so far in training camp, and, and that'll be something to watch in the preseason games. Who handles that, Gold or Wisnowski? Because the idea was that Wisnowski could do it and save Gold, uh, an older player, uh, the wear and tear on the leg by doing that. But uh, they, they had to basically do the opposite at the end of the 2021 season. It was Gold who was taking over that duty to save Wisnowski's leg. Uh, so uh, I, I, I don't know the future at that position, but... Uh, it could be that they're looking for both a new kicker and a new punter. Yeah, and we see what the 49ers did last time when the punter cycle was up. They had Bradley Pinion on a rookie contract, and then they decided to use the use the fourth-round draft pick on Mitch Wisnowski instead of paying Bradley Pinion. So if you have a punter who's delivering average results, maybe a little bit better than average, I think Pinion was a little bit better than average. Uh, you know, if there wasn't complete excellence there, then the 49ers didn't want to pay for it. They They'd rather spend the draft pick and, and the rookie deal money on the punter. So it could be something that, uh, you know, a process they repeat again um, moving forward. I, I think I cut out when I, I recommended that we talk about Mike McGlinchey, and I didn't hear you if you if you mentioned uh, anything in response or if maybe I didn't even uh, come through there. But McGlinchey is a decision the 49ers will have to make. And, you know, uh, the tackle position is to get quality play there is typically not cheap, right? So, uh he, he's on a, on the fifth-year option, but the 49ers are going to have to figure out if that's going to be something that they perpetuate with McGlinchey uh, into the future or if they want to sign an outside free agent or, or bring in a youngster to that tackle spot. Yeah, um, Jalen Moore, Colton McKivitz, Justin School. Uh, I'm not sure any of those is uh, a future starter. I think uh, the 49ers might like uh, each of those guys as a potential backup. Uh, I think they're still wanting to play Jalen Moore at uh, at guard, but uh, the injury situation ha- hasn't really allowed them to do that. But um, it, that's a great point. I mean, uh, and, and this is a team that doesn't have a first-round pick next year. So um, that's usually a big-ticket item that you take care of with your first-rounder. Uh, so they, they may be kind of uh, painted into a corner and, and really having to pay Mike McGlinchey that amount of money. Um, he'll be somebody to watch this year for, for sure, um, because uh, uh, this is the, the team really likes him. They, they like his leadership. They like him as a person. Uh, he thinks he's figured out like the ideal weight, the ideal strength. Uh, but uh, this, this could be a, a, a tough year for that line in general, uh, with a, uh, a quarterback who's not quite as decisive. Uh, Trey Lance might bring out a lot of flaws. He might save the offensive line's bacon a few times. Uh, I think it's going to be up and down quite a bit, uh, especially through the first eight games. Yeah, most definitely. And that O-line, I mean, that's the focal point, right? That's We've talked about this for months now. You know, we, we projected the 49ers would have a good defense. We already knew that they had good skill position players, and we also did predict that Trey Lance would be – volatile in this first year but a lot of the 49ers success was going to be determined by the one variable that we just really 
didn't have a, a firm read on, and that was the offensive line. We still don't have a read on it right now. So it's going to be uh, really, really important that the 49ers develop some sort of consistency there, and a lot of that will be on Mike McGlinchey. All right, let's answer one more question here to round out the lunch hour since it's 12.59. So our last question is going to be Darren. Darren, how's it going? Darren cut out, but he asked Matt about the secondary. Uh, I'm not sure what Darren was asking about the secondary, but why don't we just talk a little bit about the secondary before hanging it up here? Uh, secondary looks really deep to me. That, that's my first thought. What about you? Yeah, um, they're going to have to cut somebody that they otherwise would have kept in previous years. It's just so many people. Um, you know, maybe his question was about Jason Verrett and. Um, yeah, Kyle Shanahan sort of kept it open that maybe Verrett can be back before week one. But I think what he was really saying is that um, they don't have to push him um, that hard. Remember, he came back in week three, back in, what was it, 2019, played those uh, four snaps against the Steelers, gave up a, uh, uh, a deep ball touchdown. Really, the Steelers' only great offensive play in that game. And then, you know, uh, kind of got hurt again, and we didn't see him for the rest of the season. The 49ers don't want a repeat of that. So it doesn't sound as if Verrett will be there for week one, uh, and he might not be there for week five or, or six. It might be sort of a mid-season thing with him, which is probably the right play uh, with a guy with his injury history. But the the bright side of that is that, gee, when, when they're, they're going into late November – December, uh, when the playoffs are on the line, uh, they could have a guy in Jason Verrett who's at full strength um, and uh, champing at the bit and not worn down by the season. So uh, it's really a, a, a great problem to have. And, and right now, uh, it seems like sort of a, a genius move to have Jason Verrett waiting in the wings. Well, you know, more good news for the 49ers on that front. This is a little-known rules change, but Pup, physically unable to perform, it used to be you had to sit out at least six weeks at the start of the season before being activated. It's only four weeks now. They changed that rule this offseason, and th- that might be perfect for Jason Verrett because we've already seen Kyle Shanahan hint that they don't want to bring him back too soon. Even if he wants to come back, they may need a little bit more of an extra buffer. Six games, though, for Pup is definitely a little bit more aggressive. I mean, at that point, he's already missing nearly half the season. But if it's only four in a 17-game season, he's missing less than a quarter of the season. He gets that extra runway, a month of extra time uh, before he comes back to real live action. And then, you know, but by that point, by week five, you can almost count on there being a, at least a couple of injuries, right, that uh, need to be taken care of. And then you might have that boost from Jason Barrett. So, I think that starting him on Pup, uh, you know, does a, a lot of good things for the 49ers. One of them is obviously buying that time. But, uh, you know, probably the more appealing thing in the short term is that it saves you a 53-man roster spot during the roster cutdown, right? And that's something the 49ers can really use. Yeah, for sure. Um, they'll, they'll keep some of these younger guys around by, by doing exactly that. But for Brett, I think it'll be a, an as-needed basis. I mean, um, they, they don't really need him right now. Emmanuel Mosley is playing great. Uh, Charvarius Ward has been everything that they hope for as a high-priced free agent. I don't think Verrett is going to play the nickel spot anyway. Maybe if if the 49ers got really thin there, but uh, I'm not sure you want Jason Verrett with at his size, with his injury uh, history, kind of hanging around the uh, the meat grinder of the 
line of scrimmage, which is what the, the nickel has to do. Nickel's basically a, a quasi linebacker DB spot uh, these days. So um, yeah, I'm not sure that's the best place for him to be anyway. No, he played there earlier in his career, but I agree. Jason Verrett's a stud on the outside. He's coming off an ACL. He's coming off so many injuries. I think you, you play him where that comfort level is the greatest right now. And, you know, who's going to be the 49ers nickel is, is Darquez Denard. I mean, he's he's looking good. He, you could tell his, his build is different than the 49ers outside corners. Like like you said, Matt, he's he's built to handle that physicality better than than every 49ers outside cornerback. He, Darquez Denard is the nickel back, and the apprentice under him is Samuel Wilmack III, their fifth-round draft pick. All right, lunch hour is over. We really appreciate all you joining us. We had, I think, close to 150 athletic subscribers on here, so it was fun. Uh, make sure you go get some food in, in case we held you up here over the course of the, this past 50 minutes, but uh, it's been fun. Matt, thanks, uh, thanks for hopping on as well. All right, I'll see you tomorrow, David. All right, we'll see you at Facility tomorrow. Everybody take care. Have a great Monday. Bye now.